Good morning. Turn with me to Acts chapter 10. Our portion this morning is Acts chapter 10 and 11, but for the sake of time, we're only going to read Acts chapter 10, and we'll refer to Acts chapter 11 as we go along. The book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 10, beginning of verse 1, reads, There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man, one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly a vision of an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa, and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke, uh, who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. And when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter was up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw, and, and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him, let down to the earth. And it were... And in it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven. Now while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname is Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, Three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing. For I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them, and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting, waiting for them and had called together his, his relatives and close friends. And Peter was coming in, Cornelius was, as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met, met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. And Peter lifted him up and lifted him up, saying, "Stand up, 
I myself am also a man. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many, many had come, had come, who had come together. Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or, or to go to another, uh, to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore I came without objection as soon as I, as soon as I was sent for. I ask then, for what reason have you sent me? So Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard, and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa, and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So when I, so when I sent to you immediately, and you, you've done well to come, now therefore we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded to you by God. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, in truth I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent, uh, the word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea, began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all people, but to witnesses show, chosen by, uh, before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that, that it is he who, 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 I'm sorry, it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remissions of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were, who, who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked them to stay a few days. May the Lord bless the reading of His Word. Now as we go through this book of the Acts of the Apostle, we have to take a step back and look at the broad picture. Because if we do that, we see that the book of Acts is a book of transition. It's a book of change. And God is dealing with individuals to groups to then the nations. And there's a lot of change in the book of Acts. And as you may know, change is not an easy thing. 
For example, the first seven, first seven chapters of the book of Acts is God's message to who? To the Jewish people. He dealt solely with the Jewish people. And then in chapter 8, we see something completely different that we don't see in Scripture. God's message went out to the Samaritans. We read after, after Stephen was martyred, the, the, the people, the, the, the New Testament church there was scattered, and Philip ended up in Samaria. And he, and he began to preach Jesus to the Samaritans, and they believed. Now, you may say that's a wonderful thing, and, and it is, praise the Lord, but you have to put yourself in the shoes of those Jewish believers. Think about this. Think about when the Lord was here on earth and He was there at that well with that poor woman, that sinner of a woman, offering her living water. And His disciples would come upon that scene and would say, what is He doing? What is He doing talking to that Samaritan? For you see, Samaritans and Jews, don't, they don't mingle. They despise each other. You know, the Jews would literally walk around Samaria. They would never go through Samaria. But the Lord says, I must go through Samaria. Think of the the, the sons of thunder there. James and John would look upon Samaria and said, Lord, let us call fire from heaven to consume these people. You see, there was a lot of animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans, these half-Jews. But you see... The Lord is offering His grace not just to the Jews only, but to the Samaritans. And it was a, a difficult thing, if you can imagine. So much so that Peter had to go himself and see it for himself. And Peter would, would see the Holy Spirit bestowed upon the Samaritans. So now they see that, that the grace of God, His salvation, His forgiveness is not just for the Jews, but it's also for the Samaritans. And now we come to chapter 10. And the Lord is preparing Peter, isn't He? I'm only going to talk about two main points here this morning. I'm going to talk about a prepared heart, which we've seen in Cornelius. And God preparing His servant, His messengers. But before I go into it, I want to talk to you a little bit about the Mosaic Dietary Laws. Because that has to do a lot to do with this passage here. You see, one of, the, one of the difficult things that Peter had to overcome in this passage was to enter into a house of a Gentile and fellowship with him and have a meal with him. Why was that such a difficult thing? Well, in Leviticus chapter 11, if you had some time later on today, turn there and read what the Lord dictated to the children of Israel was to be their diet. Now, they were to only eat animals who, who were, were, had a clothed uh, hoof and, and chewed the cud. And, and anything that didn't meet those two requirements was out of it, meaning beef was out, pork was out, and any, any other four-legged creature you want to eat was completely out. And, and the fish of the sea, it says they must have scales and, and fins. Well, I mean, that's good. We, that's, that's a lot of fish. But what about lobster? What about shrimp? They, they couldn't eat these things. Now, there was a purpose for those laws. 
God didn't do it just to be mean. That's not the, our Lord is a gracious and loving God. The purpose for the dietary laws for the children of Israel was solely to set them apart. You know, food brings people together, doesn't it? You know, a preacher once said, he says, you know, it's amazing how many people show up for the death of a chicken in the form of barbecue. But how many people show up for the death of our Lord Jesus Christ? It's a sober thought. How many people, oh, there's a meal. Oh, I'm there, brother. <laughs> I'm there. But if there's no meal, are we there? The purpose of the dietary laws was to set them apart. Even Remember Balaam, sitting there in that high place and looking upon the tribes, all those tents there in the desert. And he himself would proclaim, as the Lord would lead him, they were a peculiar nation, weren't they? They were to be set apart. And their, their diet would set them apart even further. And it was to keep them from what? Not from all other kinds of food. It's to keep them from the lifestyles of the Gentile. Keep them from their, their lewd and lascivious ways. You know, it's one thing, you know, if, if you don't like fish, and I invite you to my house, and I serve fish, it's going to be a little difficult for you, isn't it? It's going to be a little hard for you. And so you see that this dietary law set a partition, a wall, a barrier between the Jews and the nations and the Gentiles. You know, there was a negative effect to this law. And it's that they thought themselves to be special. They thought that, that they themselves were so special that they could do no wrong. That as long as that they kept these these mosaic these dietary laws, as long as they ate the lamb and they didn't eat the pork, as long as they ate the fish and not the lobster, they were better than anyone else. Hey brother, I, I, brother, sister, I only bring that up for one reason: application in my own personal life, and hopefully in your own personal life. You know, brothers and sisters, even in this place. As we gather together, if you're wearing the right tie, you have the right Bible, you walk and you talk like us, we assume, oh, everything's okay. Oh, this brother, he's got a nice suit on. It's a spiritual man. That, that, that woman, beautiful long dress, nice long head covering, spiritual woman. Brothers and sisters, these are just not, not, nothing but outward trinkets. There's no true spirituality in any of this. But God looks at the heart and the soul. You know, these men held on to these dietary laws and they, it was a chip on their shoulder. And, and, and they looked down upon men for because uh, nothing unclean has ever come through my mouth. You pagan, you heathen. How could you do such a thing? When they themselves... You know, in Deuteronomy, the Lord would say... I didn't pick you because you were special. You're just like anybody else. You're just like anybody else. But I digress. For we have a lot to cover. And so we come to the prepared heart. Cornelius, a centurion. A Gentile. Now, it's a very interesting study if you have some time to study the centurions in the scripture. We, we heard of one this morning. In the New Testament, the centurions are, are, are 
painted it in a very positive sense. A lot of them were God-fearing. You know, the centurion there with the Lord said, Come heal my servant, but don't come to my house because I'm not worthy, Lord. Just say the words, Lord. I have faith. Say the words. A man of faith. And here is the centurion. This general. And he, we read that he's a God-fearing man. He's a good man. A devout man. A man who, who gives alms, who's charitable. A man who prays. But brothers and sisters, sadly I must say, I don't think he was saved. I don't think he was saved. For if you turn to chapter 11, when Peter recounts of what happened, he he says in the account, I'm sorry, verse 14, uh, verse 13 it says, And he told us that he had seen an angel standing in the house who, who said to him, Send men to Joppa and call Simon, whose surname is Peter. And listen to verse 14, it says, He will tell you words by which... You and all your household will be saved. You see, brothers and sisters, this man, as as good as a man as he was, and as much as he did for the community, all those good deeds, and all the time he spent in prayer, was not saved. Was not saved. And it's a sad thing. Because maybe you know somebody like that in your life. You know, I, I think of my aunt on my dad's side. She's a Jehovah's Witness. And, and let me tell you, never have I met a more devout woman, a more moral woman. She religiously and ritually goes to her meeting, religiously passes out her little magazines. She prays, she reads her Bible. She believes in one God. She believes in Jehovah. But she's lost. She's a wonderful person. I would love her. I would love her to be my neighbor. She's just that kind of person. But she's lost. She's completely lost. She, She negates that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He thinks she thinks of him inferior. Nothing but an angel. It's a sad thing. It's a sad thing, brothers and sisters. These people who, on the outside, look so good. Say the right things. Do the right things. And yet, so far from the truth. But you know, one thing that God loves, it's a sincere and seeking heart. You see, this prepared heart of Cornelius was a man who feared God. And he prayed and he fa- we read he, that he fasted. He was seeking God. Now, Vine said maybe he was what they call a, 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 a gate proselyte. He, he hadn't taken that step to be a full proselyte, but he was getting there. Regardless, he found favor in the eyes of God. And God would see fit to send an angel. Send an angel to him to say, go send for a man named Simon whose surname is Peter. Now, before I get on, let's think about this. Because here's an angel standing before this Gentile who fears God, who believes in God, but doesn't know the truth, doesn't know what to do. 
Couldn't the angel have told them what to do? Couldn't the angel have said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Wonderfully, no. For you know, the job of evangelism, the job to spread the good news of Jesus Christ is not given to the angels. It's given to who? To you and to me. You see, an angel cannot stand before another individual and tell him, bearing sorrows and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. An angel can't testify of what God had done for him. But I can. You can. And God has given the job of reconciliation to you and I. What a privilege that is. To share with others such a great salvation. And so we see the angel instructs him to send out for Peter. You know, it's something amazing about Cornelius' character. The, the Lord sent word to him. And it says, immediately. Immediately. He gathered two of his servants and one of his soldiers, one of the devout soldiers, and, and he said he told them everything. He told them every single detail. He didn't leave one out. And he said, go find him. Immediately. Don't wait till tomorrow. Because it, it's already, it was, it was the ninth hour, so it was about three o'clock in the afternoon. So don't wait till tomorrow. Go. Start walking now. Brothers, oh, that I would have that attitude. Oh, that I would have that conviction. That when the Lord speaks, immediately, immediately we act. Immediately we move. Immediately we put into practice. And so now we turn to the preparing of the messenger. We find Peter there on that on the housetop, there in, in, in Joppa. In the house of Simon the Tanner. Now remember, as I was telling you about, the book of Acts is a book of, of change, of transition. You know, it's a hard thing for, for these Jewish men to go from the old covenant to the new covenant. From the law to grace. From the temple and the synagogues and the priests to meeting in, in homes. And all men and all women are part of the priesthood. These were difficult things. But you see, Peter himself was slowly changing. You see, we find him in this instance, in this city, in the house of a tanner. Now, a tanner is one who works with, with, skin, with skin hives. They, they dry them out and, and season them for, for whatever they may be, for, for, for skin wines or, or for whatever you want to make. I, I guess they didn't make couches like we do today, but they would make stuff with leather. But what's the problem with that? Well, you see, the Mosaic Law would state that if one was to touch a dead animal, they were to what? Go bathe, and now you would be unclean for the rest of the day. So, for one to work with dead animals and dead carcasses was for one to be consist consistently, ceremonially unclean. They could not go to the, to the temple and offer a sacrifice. They could not offer worship of any kind because they were unclean. Yet we find Peter here in the house of a tanner. 
So we see the Lord is slowly working on Peter, beginning to change his thinking. And as the Lord, we see graciously begins to prepare him for what he's about to do. He allows him to go into this trance and see this vision of this great sheet come down with all kinds of beasts on it. And the Lord says to him, Peter, rise, kill and eat. You said you were hungry. Your stomach is growling. Rise, rise, Peter. That pig has, that bacon's pretty good. Kill and eat. And Peter, in his own character, in his own wonderful way, says, not so, Lord. Not so. For, for nothing unclean or common has ever come through my mouth. I, I'm, a, I'm a devout Jewish man. You know, you think about that phrase, not so, Lord. If we say, not so, then how could He be Lord? And if He is Lord, how can we say, not so? <laughs> there goes Peter putting his foot in his mouth again, doesn't he? Goodness gracious, what a guy, right? But let, let, let's hold off judgment, brothers and sisters, because let's point the finger back at us. Do we say, not so, Lord, with our actions? You know, we, we sing, He is Lord, He is Lord. If He is Lord, is He Lord of your time? Is He Lord of your finances? Is He Lord of your home? How often have we set aside time for so many things of this world and yet we neglect the Lord? And with our action we say, Not so, Lord. Not so. But graciously our Lord is a wonderful and loving God. And as he has patience with Peter here, he has patience with you and I, Lord, brothers and sisters. He tells Peter three times. He says, what the Lord has, has cleansed, do not call common or unclean. He says it three times. Now, one may say, what, what is with Peter? Everything has to be told, everything has to be said to him three times. Well, I can really ask my wife. She goes, Jamal, nothing happens. Jamal, nothing happens. Jamal! I wake out of my slumber. So, <laughs> Peter's not alone in his struggle. I'm with him. I'm with him. But the Lord was preparing him. The Lord was preparing. And we see that he, after he sees this vision, and, and, and this sheet goes back up to heaven, he's sitting upon her what this vision meant. And as he's pondering, the men who Cornelius sent are, are at the gate. And the Spirit says, I've sent these men. Go doubting nothing. And even though Peter did not fully understand what he had seen, he had not completely digested what the Lord was trying to tell him, we read that he went. Here are these Gentiles at the doorstep asking to go with him to Caesarea, to the to a house of a centurion. And he goes. He goes without question. He goes. He, he, he said, come on in. We'll have a meal. We'll spend the night. And we'll go, the night, we'll go on the next day. And they take two days to get there. And he goes. And when he gets there, we see in Cornelius' house, a packed house. 
a full house. You know, sometimes his Cornelius' character is such a beautiful thing. You know, the angel told him, you know, send for this man. He will tell you how you and your household will be saved. And he sent for them immediately. And, and he had faith that Peter would come with them. And he would call all his friends and all his relatives. says, come stay at my house. For there's a man coming with words of life. You know, brothers and sisters, that, that is the best form of evangelism. That is the best form. We, we, can, we can put up billboards. We can, uh, we can go on television. We can go on the radio. We can go on the newspaper. We can do all kinds of things. But the best form of evangelism is to invite somebody into your home to hear the good news. And so we find Peter comes in and he sees all these people. And Cornelius, as excited as he was, runs to Peter and falls on his knees and he begins to worship him and re revere this man. And Peter graciously picks this man up and says, No, I, I'm just a man. I am just a man. You know, what, a, what an amazing humility this man had. A man who could very easily get filled with himself. Very humbly. And clearly picked this man up and said, Recognize I am nothing like you. I'm just a man. I'm nothing special. You know, that's, that's a very interesting verse, isn't it? For you see, our, our, our friends over in the Catholic Church and, and, and their Pope declares some type of spiritual descendants with Peter. And yet hordes of people come to the Pope and kneel down and, and kiss his ring in reverence. And I wonder if the Pope ever reads this verse. For if they truly were spiritual descendants of Peter, Peter's just a man. He's just a man. Greatly used of God, but he's just a man. And so we read, um, we read there in verse twenty-eight, and it's a beautiful thing when Peter, in this in this journey to Caesarea, had meditated upon this vision, and he understood the vision. Praise the Lord that the Lord revealed to him the meaning of this vision. It says in verse 28, And then he said, You know that it is unlawful, uh, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or to go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. You see, th th this, this great vision that came down of, and, and this command to, to rise, Peter, kill and eat was not just about food. Even though, praise the Lord, it does mean about food. I mean, I can have my BLT and be okay. But it's about the Gentiles. You see, the dietary laws kept them from fellowshipping with the Gentiles, from fraternizing with the Gentiles. They couldn't sit down for a meal. They, couldn't, they, they weren't to enter the home of a Gentile. But now the Lord had broken down this wall partition 
And it's not so much about the food, but it's about the people. Now we see that God's message went not just to the Jews, but to the Samaritans. But now God's dealing with the world. You know, if God hadn't showed Peter that vision, would Peter have ever entered into the house of Cornelius? Would he have stayed there a couple days and communed with him? No. But Peter heeded the vision and the word of the Lord, and he understood the message of the Lord. Do not call any man common or unclean. What does that say to you and I, brothers and sisters? You know, at, at times, I, you know, I, I hate to say this story, but when the guys at Genomes were here, they were telling us a story about how they were, I believe, in, in, in Alabama. And they were doing work in Alabama, and they, they, were, they were passing out tracts and Unfortunately, the, the, the people in the assembly that were working at said, stop what you're doing. Said, the people that you're bringing in here are not the kind we want. We, we, want, we want white, affluent people. Can you do that? God forbid. For God shows no partiality. Peter realizes, he said, I, I, I perceive that God does not show any partiality, whether race, whether financial state. God shows no partiality. He loves all and cares for all, and He died for all. Brothers and sisters, I, I, I speak to myself as well. Let's be careful. Let's not despise someone because they're different or, or shun them because they're, 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 they're odd or, or whatever they may be. Because God died for them. The Lord died for that individual. And he loves them. Don't call any man common or unclean. So moving quickly because we're quickly running out of time. Peter asked Cornelius, why did you send me? And Cornelius reiterates, I, I, there was a, I was praying and, and an angel appeared, or he said a man in white, bright white clothing appeared, and he said, send, send for Peter, whose surname, send, Simon, send for Simon, whose surname is Peter, excuse me, and he will tell you what to do. And so Peter opens his mouth and begins to give him the message. He says in verse 36, it says, the word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. Now listen. He is Lord of all. He is Lord of all. No longer is He just the God of Jacob, the God of Abraham. He is the Lord of all. God is no longer dealing with one nation, but now God is dealing with all nations. Praise be, the, praise be to God. And then we read a particular verse in verse 35, and I just want to quickly quickly touch on it, uh, because there is some confusion in verse 35. It says, but uh, he, He's talking about that God shows no prosperity, but in every, nation, in every nation who fears Him and works righteousness is accepted by Him. Now, some people have taken this verse to say that, you see, if someone works righteousness and fears God, they will be saved. Well, no, that's not true. For Cornelius was all those things, and he needed to hear the gospel. He needed to hear the good news. He needed to hear that name, Lord Jesus Christ. You see, 
What Peter's there saying is God seeking for a sincere and true heart. One who truly seeks for God. It's not works of righteousness that get, get anybody anywhere. But it's the grace of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he, another astonishing thing that I want to point out, and I'm going to go quickly here. It says in verse 37, The word that you know which was proclaimed throughout all Judea. The word that you know that was proclaimed. Listen, he's going to go on to tell him about Jesus of Nazareth, how he was baptized by, by, by John, and, and the, the Holy Spirit came down and descended upon him, and he did all these wonderful works. He lived, he did all these miracles, he died, and he rose again. But he's saying, you know all these things. You know all these things. So, well, then what's the problem? When you're brothers and sisters, the, the gospel is not just knowing Jesus Christ and what he did and what happened to him. But it's to believe the reason, the purpose for what was done. The, the, what is the objective of the gospel? It's to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and that He died for the penalties of my sins. You know, we live in a quote-unquote Christian nation. You know, just about everybody you can talk to, you guess who Jesus is. Who, who's Jesus? Well, he was a, he was a good man who, who performed Mary, Mary miracles. He died on the cross and he, and he supposedly rose again. They all know it. It's all, it's all here. Does that make them saved? No. Absolutely not. Far from it. Far from it. But you see, Cornelius and those in his household had prepared hearts. They were waiting for that message. And as he reiterated what they already knew about Jesus Christ, about his life, his death, and his resurrection, and he reads in verse 42, and he commanded him, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that, he, that it is he who was ordained by God to judge the living and the dead. He was going to deal with sin. He was going to judge sin. And look at verse 43. He said, To him all the prophets witnessed that through his name, his name, Whoever believes in Him will receive remission of sin. Forgiveness of sin. That's the message. You may know Jesus Christ in your head. You may know what He did. But do you know that you can receive forgiveness from, sin, from sins by the work that He did on the cross? Do you believe that? Is it just head knowledge or do you believe it in your heart? You know, but another, thing, another interesting thing to point out, that's the first time we read of whosoever in the book of Acts. First time, and from now on, it's whosoever. It's not repent, you who, who crucified Jesus. It's whosoever. Repent and whosoever believes will be saved. What a wonderful thing that is. And we read here in the last portion, as Peter was saying these things, he wasn't even finished. He wasn't even finished saying the message. And we read that the Holy Spirit was poured out upon that house and those Gentiles who had those prepared hearts, eagerly waiting for that forgiveness, eagerly waiting for that message, were filled with the Holy Spirit. I, I, I just want to say one thing with that. 
You know, a, a lot of times and a lot of preachers, and, and I don't want to badmouth anybody or, or look down upon anybody, but some, sometimes uh, brethren uh, would, would push, there, there has to be an outward uh, a prayer, or there has to be, a, a, they have to stand up, they have to come up to the front. I remember growing up as a child, listening to the gospel and, and, and wanting to, but I would be so terrified of going up to the front. That the preacher said, if anybody wants to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, come up to the front. I was terrified. Or, or they would say, repeat after me, and I would say the prayer, and next week I would say, well, am I really saved? You see, salvation is not a, a, the, the outward mechanics. There, there's, no, uh, 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 there's no special prayer. There's no, uh, you have to stand up and be recognized. There's, there's nothing physical that has to be done but simply hearing and believing. Hearing and believing. That's what these, these people did. They were sitting there, eagerly listening to Peter, and as he told them about the forgiveness of sin, they believed in their heart. There was no call by Peter, those who want to believe, this is what you do. No, they heard and believed. That's all you have to do is believe. Believe that you can f- receive forgiveness from your sins. That, that as wretched as you are, God loved you and died for you. And He's offering righteousness. He's willing to take away that sin and bestow righteousness upon impute His righteousness upon us. Vile people. All you have to do is believe. And I'll close with this. You see, the Lord was working on Peter. And and, and training and, and changing his heart, preparing his heart for what the Lord wanted him to do. But you see, the Lord graciously doesn't stop with Peter. He begins to prepare those who were with him. For we read when he left when he left Joppa, he said he took some with him. He took some men, some believers, some Jewish believers with him. In fact, we read in chapter eleven that there was actually six of them. He took six Jewish believers with him to Caesarea. And when these six men observed what, what was going on, observed as the Holy Spirit was poured upon these Gentiles, and these Gentiles. You know, on Wednesday nights we're talking about how, how the gifts of the Spirit and how some were foundational. And how gifts of tongues can be perceived as a foundational gift. And you, the Lord would use these gifts to put authority on the message. To the, to, to the unbeliever, He would say, Jesus is risen, and here's proof, and he would, a, a man would be healed. But now to the believers... He's using this gift as proof to them. These six Jewish believers now saw the Holy Spirit dwelt in dwelt Gentiles. And these Gentiles would speak in tongues and praise the Lord. And they were astonished. They were amazed. They couldn't believe that these Gentiles would receive the same Spirit that they did. You know, it, it, it's an identical scene to there in Pentecost, isn't it? There in that, in that room with all the disciples in prayer, and as the, the earth quaked and the Holy Spirit descended upon them, and they spoke in tongues. And here we see the exact same scene. 
And it, and it began to work in these messengers' hearts, didn't it? They began to realize that it, it's not about the Mosaic law. It's, it's not, God's no longer working with just the Jewish people. We're, we're, we're not the special group anymore. God's reaching out to everybody. You see, Peter would then go back to Jerusalem in chapter 11, and we take these six men with him. And the first thing the, the believers in Jerusalem say, Peter, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're, you, you ate with Gentiles. How could you? Well, Peter said, hold on a second. Let, let, let's start from the beginning. And he would testify what the Lord did there in Caesarea and Cornelius' house. And he said, these six men were with me. They can testify of them. They can testify what had happened. And from these seven witnesses, those in Jerusalem would stop and be silenced. And we read that they would praise the Lord. For God is now reaching to the Gentiles. We have a wonderful God. A gracious God. One who, who offers His hand of salvation to all. There is, no, there is no common or unclean. He shows no partiality. All He desires is a seeking heart, a sincere seeking heart like, like Cornelius. And for messengers, messengers prepared. Are we prepared, brothers and sisters, I, I didn't have time to go, too much go into it, but what was Peter doing there on that rooftop? He was in prayer. He was an able and willing messenger. He was ready. Are we ready? Are we prepared? To, to, if the Lord calls upon us to share that good news, that hope that is within us, are we ready? Let's pray. Our Heavenly God and Father, we thank You and praise You. Words, words cannot describe, Lord, the love You have for humanity, the grace You bestow upon us. Words cannot describe such great a salvation, Lord. Lord, I pray that Your Word would be afresh in our hearts, Lord, in myself as it is in the body here this morning. Let us, Lord, be afresh with Your Gospel, Lord, and let, let us seek, Lord, to do Thy will, Lord. Let us seek to send Your message out to those around us, Lord. Lord, let us say with sincerity of heart, Lord, what wilt Thou have me to do, Lord? Lord, I ask all these things in such precious name. In, our, in the Lord Jesus Christ, Amen.